Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, the Supreme Court hands a limited victory to a wedding cake baker in a religious freedom case. This is the Influence Watch podcast. Since the 2015 Supreme Court ruling, which extended government recognition of same-sex marriage to all states, many Americans have feared that an aggressive social liberalism would force them to publicly support events which went against their sincerely held religious beliefs. Media campaigns, often urged on by major organized left-wing groups like the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, have demonized dissenters from the liberal left's sexual orthodoxy. And for Jack Phillips and his masterpiece Cake Shop, that demonization came from the state of Colorado, which declared it illegal for him to refuse, on the grounds of his religious beliefs, to make a custom wedding cake for a same-sex couple. His case went to the Supreme Court, and the court ruled somewhat surprisingly by 7-2 that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, the regulatory body that had punished Phillips and his business, had violated Phillips' religious freedom rights. Perhaps even more surprisingly, liberal justices Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer, along with the very pro-gay rights Justice Anthony Kennedy, ruled in favor of Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop. The case was decided on relatively case-specific grounds, and the court stopped short of making a broad ruling on issues of free speech or free exercise grounds, or on the other side of a ruling that would declare there is a mandate to bake the cake. So, after the Masterpiece case, where do religious Americans and influence groups on social issues go from here? Uh, Mike, let's start with a little background on what this case dealt with. So uh, Masterpiece, Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, is a, a bakery uh, in Colorado owned by Jack Phillips, who is a religious Christian. Uh, and pursuant to his beliefs about what his religion demands, uh, he refused to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. This brought him into theoretical potential conflict with Colorado's anti-discrimination law, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. So the couple that tried to buy a cake from him sued him. Uh, that was investigated by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, uh, which is the arm of, regulatory arm of the state, which is uh, tasked with enforcing that law. Uh, they found Phillips guilty uh, of having broken the law. Uh, and then uh, it, was it would ultimately be litigated. Um, now, in the Colorado Civil Rights Commission's decision, uh, one of, or in its, uh, in its proceedings, uh, they took an extremely, host an extremely hostile anti-clerical view, uh, anti-religious view. Uh, one commissioner exhorted that religious beliefs had, quote, been used to justify all kinds of discrimination throughout history, whether it be slavery, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be, I mean, we, we can list hundreds of situations where freedom of religion has been used to justify discrimination, and to me it is one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use to use their religion to hurt others, close quote. That quote is going to become very relevant once we get to the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, it was litigated up the chain. Colorado Court of Appeals ruled uh, ruled against Masterpiece Cake Shop. Uh, they then they appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, uh, in what I would say was a surprising decision, uh, I expected it to go the other way, um, and it went the way that it did by a seven to two vote, uh, not the usual ideological five to four or four plus Kennedy to four. Uh, 
and authored by Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, who was the author of the 2015 decision and the preceding, I think it was 2013 decision that set the groundwork for the ultimate uh, extension of judicial uh, same-sex marriage to all states. Uh, he found that statements like the one that I just quoted uh, showed that the commissioners had such obvious anti-religious animus that their decision violated the First Amendment rights of Mr. Phillips. Additionally, the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission's other precedents, which had found that uh, the opposite version of for, of message cakes, you know, cakes in favor of um, uh, in favor of traditional religion, in favor of a Christian interpretation of marriage, that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had said you have the right to refuse to make those, and that double standard also was taken as evidence of anti-religious animus by the court. Yes, um, but the court, so the court's ruling is really on the basis of this sort of double standard, but it's the court did not deal with the question of what if nobody on the Civil Rights Commission had been foolish enough to shoot his mouth off well, and it simply— Well, it's a, it's, a little bit, it's, a little bit more than, it's a little bit more than just shooting off your mouth. It's also these precedents that the Civil Rights Commission established that showed that some cakes are—you can refuse some to— Some cakes are more equal some than ca others. Some cakes are more equal than others. And, yes. the, and in mm -hmm. fact, Kennedy, in his decision— which is a very Anthony Kennedy decision and that it's very wishy-washy and very very floofy language and not the precision of argument that you might hope that a one of our highest jurists would use. Uh, but he, he, ref, he refers back to the 1943 uh, West Virginia v. Barnett case, uh, which was during the height of World War II, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that public school students, in this case they were Jehovah's Witnesses, who are prohibited by their religion to offer allegiance to any uh, any temporal state uh, that they were able to not, that they could sit and refuse to re recite the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, and the quote that Kennedy that Kennedy took was that this double standard quote elevates one view of what is offensive over another and itself sends a signal of official disapproval of Phillips' religious beliefs, and that that contravened the precedents that go back to that West Virginia v. Barnett case. So yeah, while they didn't say that. If you have a religious objection, if you are a church-going Christian, that you have a right to refuse to participate, you know, you have a right to refuse to participate in providing services to a same-sex marriage ceremony, it's a little bit more than just the civil rights commissioners were, were mean, then and therefore it doesn't apply in any other case. Yeah, the, well, but the precise implications for future but cases the price, are unclear. And, and, and the precise implication, mm -hmm. and Kennedy explicitly said, the precise implications for future <laughs> for future yes. cases are not are not necessarily decided here. Yeah. Well, who were uh, the lawyers on the two sides? Uh, so it, when it went before the court, uh, it was uh, brought. You know, ultimately, obviously, the state of Colorado represent represents itself. They're the government. They have government lawyers. Uh, the uh, the same-sex couple who were not able to get a wedding cake from Phillips uh, were represented by the ACLU. Or actually, that's it's a disputed point. Um, the couple claims they couldn't get anything from him. Uh, Phillips claims, and the courts, the lower courts, decided in Phillips' favor that he said, "I'll sell you anything you want except a custom cake that I have to make myself. But anything else in the store, you're welcome to. Any of the other cakes and the rest." Right. But, uh, so, okay, so with that clarification, mm -hmm. uh, they were represented by the ACLU Foundation uh, and the ACLU Foundation, the estate affiliate of the ACLU Foundation. Uh, 
the ACLU uh, Foundation is the tax-deductible arm of the ACLU advocacy group. Uh, now, there's a bit of, you know, might, might strike one as unusual that the ACLU is pushing for government regulation of speech, ultimately. Yes. Um, but the ACLU's real ideology is state secularism. Uh, state, you know, a, a French-style extreme separation of, of church and state. Um, the ACLU has pushed for eliminating religious-based instruction in public schools. They have pushed for uh, forcing doctors who have a moral objection to abortion to perform abortions. They have petitioned, they at one point in the 1980s wanted the Roman Catholic Church to lose its tax-exempt status. Uh, they're, they're more anti-clerical than pro-civil liberties. Uh, so, and, and some of that comes from where they, where they get their funding. Uh, yes. Tell us about who funds them. Uh, name a left-wing foundation. They probably do. Uh, you have Open Society, which is, uh, George Soros, the Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation, which is the largest private funder of abortion, which is backed by Warren Buffett, the, the investor we discussed during our, uh, our episode on Planned Parenthood. Uh, Ford Foundation, uh, which was until very recently the largest foundation in America and funds uh, any number of left-wing causes. Um, and specifically, in recent years, uh, the ACLU Foundation has gotten funding from the Gill Foundation, uh, which is one of the larger single-issue uh, LGBT issues foundations on the left. Yes, they are based in Colorado and Gill uh, originally made his money off of the Quark Express desktop publishing software uh, that I can remember using years ago. Uh, he was very influential, not just in, this is 501c3 right. uh, funding we're talking about, but also was highly influential uh, in political funding. He, he's helped to turn right, his he, home right. state he, he, was, he was one of the, he was one of the, one of the uh, along with Pat Stryker, uh, one of the liberal donors who orchestrated the Colorado Democracy Alliance, which what, which is credited, perhaps overcredited, but that's a debate for another time, with uh, helping shift Colorado from a center-right state to a center-left state. He also was heavily involved in uh, sort of a surreptitious, people were, didn't realize it exactly till it had happened, uh, takeover of Iowa's legislature because Iowa was actually one of the first Iowa was one of the first states to pass uh, same-sex marriage law which people were somewhat surprised by not thinking I was a leader in such things but it turns out it doesn't cost a lot uh, to buy a lot of seats uh, in Iowa and Gill and his friends were and and, and of course that. showing that no partisan uh, that no partisan changeover is permanent Iowa I believe had the largest swing from Barack Obama yes. to Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, at least among states that switch sides. <laughs> yes, no, and, and, in, and in general now is not, not controlled by folks uh, that Gill was likely to uh, provide checks to. Well, that's the, uh, that's the Colorado uh, side. Who is uh, representing uh, Mr. Phillips and the Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop? So Mr. Phillips's lawyers uh, and Masterpiece Cake Shop's lawyers um, were, the Alliance defend were with the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a social conservative legal, uh, public interest legal organization uh, organized as a 501c3 charity. Uh, now, because the left is the left, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is the extreme, I, I mean, extreme left wing, I think is a fair characterization of their views. Uh, and they 
claim to be the watchdog of extremism and the watchdog of civil rights, uh, they characterize any organized resistance, any organized opposition to a continuous expansion of, uh, of, of social liberalism as anti-gay hate. Uh, so they have listed uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom along with other uh, social conservative organizations as so-called hate groups. For those listening on audio, I am making air quotes. Uh, the um, so and they have been heavily criticized not only by by the right, not only by social conservatives, but also by libertarians and by even some liberals for going well beyond the remit. Uh, of watchdogging genuine extremism to characterizing groups like the Alliance Def- Defending Freedom, which has won a number of cases on religious rights before the Supreme Court as a so-called, again, air quotes, hate group. <laughs> yes, it's a little dubious to imagine that uh, a group that regularly uh, argues and often with success in front of the Supreme Court, and in this case wins the votes of uh, not just Anthony Kennedy, mm-hmm. but Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, um, is some fringe lunatic hate group like the Westboro Baptist Church? Yeah, no, they and and they've gotten considerable criticism for that, even as the uh, even as some elements of the mainstream as the mainstream center left press uh, try to jump on their characterizations. Yeah. Uh, now, on the other hand, if I'm the SPLC, I'm probably not uh, as worried as I might be because, as uh, Peter Hassan in this morning's Daily Caller has uh, a very good article on all of the high-tech companies that in one way or another collude with the SPLC or help to use the SPLC to police their own sites, uh, Twitter and Facebook and Google and Amazon. Uh, in the case of Alliance mm. Defending Freedom is forbidden to, ha- to participate in the Amazon Smile program that lets mm. part of the, the money spent at Amazon go, go there. So SPLC is getting lots of criticism, but it still has enormous power, not just... Uh, among the, the the millions who are happy to donate to it, it's got a half billion dollars in the bank right now, uh, which is a little shocking for a charity. But uh, but also lots of respect in Silicon Valley. Um, well, they're also, of course, in a big case like this that's uh, that's so closely watched. There are lots of friends of the court brief or uh, yeah, Amici, Amica, Amicus Curiae is mm-hmm. the Latin ter- Latin term of art. So. Uh, some of the groups involved uh, in this case are not just uh, social conservative on the uh, on the bake shop side are not just the social conservatives are they? Uh, no, in fact, the uh, the Cato Institute and the Reason Foundation, which are two of the larger libertarian and pretty openly secular uh, groups, uh, filed a brief basically saying that forcing Phillips to create a uh, a cake which was an act of expression contrary to his religious beliefs was uh, was an improper compelled speech. There's a, uh, a there was a case many many years ago where uh, all New Hampshire license plates used to say "Live free or die," uh, the state motto, um, and the Supreme Court ruled that you had to have the option not to have that on your license plate. Some some somebody sued saying they didn't want "Live free or die" to express the motto That's of, li- not their of view. "Live free or die." That's not their view. <laughs> Um, they didn't want to expouse it on their car. Um, and the Supreme Court ruled that you had to have the option to put something else. I think Robert Novak, uh, who, when he registered his car in D.C., uh, the late conservative journalist, 
Washington, D.C. license plates, including my own, say, taxation without representation at the direction of the city council, which would like to become a state. Uh, Novak insisted that his didn't. Uh, and under that uh, under that uh, that Supreme Court precedent, he had he had to be given something else. I think it's celebrate <laughs> I, and I discover. Know, that's a great story. I didn't know that. Um, at least I, v- I vaguely recall having read that. Um, so... Uh, so Reason, Cato, and also the legal arm of the David Horowitz Freedom Center filed this brief saying, hey, wait a minute, this, this, is, this would be compelled speech. And that was the argument that, that they hung on, that cre- the act of creation of, of a product is inherently a speech act. Yep. And then also f- uh, filing on behalf of the cake shop side is the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, uh, where I used to work, um, and they made uh, their argument was not on the uh, speech grounds, but rather that uh, you have a constitutional right to uh, re- refuse to participate in a religious ceremony in a, or, or right. in a yeah, wedding or in, ceremony or in, a, in adjunct to a religious ceremony. ceremony. Yes, um, and of course their concern would be in something like this. Uh, it, it, it isn't clear to me, having looked at the, the, the two dissenters in the case, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor, it isn't clear to me that they would be content to say that a rabbi or a priest doesn't have to participate in uh, a same-sex marriage ceremony. Um, so that's the sort of co- uh, concern that, that Beckett would have. Um, and there's a related Beckett case, uh, this uh, from the most important religious liberties case of the last you know, 25, 50 years, uh, was won by the Beckett Fund uh, about, oh, four or five years ago, I think it was, um, and that is the Hosanna Tabor Lutheran Church and School versus uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And what was at issue there was precisely this uh, yeah, was, ministerial exception. Right, so, the there, so because it. everything uh, comes back to employment law, <laughs> um, there is in federal employment law and federal anti-discrimination law, there is a, a carve-out that... Religious institutions have essentially discretion to choose their ministers. The Catholic Church can say that if you're married, you can't be a priest. Uh, And so what the Obama administration EEOC did was they construed that very, very narrowly, that only like the church, you know, religious, religious people and social conservatives often pointed out that Obama, when he would speak about religious, uh, religious rights, would use the term freedom of worship, uh, construing a very, very narrow uh, place for uh, religious dissent from secular orthodoxy. Uh, And the Supreme Court, again, joined not only 5-4, but by, I think it was... was No, no, in in the Hosanna-Tabor case, it was 9-0, including Sotomayor and Ginsburg and Kagan. Uh, uh, So the Supreme Court unanimously held, no, 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 no. That applies because in the, in the case it was a it was a religious school, right? Yeah, a religious yeah, school, yeah, the, and it was a teacher. Although she also was an ordained minister in the church, mm-hmm. but her job was to, yeah, her, as a yeah. Teacher. Uh, that no, 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 no. The ministerial exception also applied to the religious school, and the Obama administration's interpretation was a violation of religious freedom. Yeah, I, I have to throw in here that just because I, I want to, uh, I, I would hate for history to fail to recognize the radicalism of Mr. Obama. In that particular case, there were, of course, lots of, again, uh, uh, these Amici briefs from outside groups. 
the administration took a more extreme view than the ACLU, than People for the American Way, than the Freedom From Religion Foundation. To, to get an idea for the last two, uh, the Freedom from, Religious Found, from Religion Foundation are the people who sue to take crosses down from military memorials, and People for the American Way was explicitly created to oppose televangelists, I say in air quotes. Yeah, well, and... and, uh, and uh, Robert Bork's yeah, yeah, and, 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 and infamously Bork invented which, the invented the tactic of Bork. Yeah, their 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 ugliness created the the, the verb to Bork, uh, meaning to attack a uh, a nominee uh, in in vicious and probably uh, dishonest ways. But uh, so yes, now that was nine to zero. And by the way, that was a clue to this decision because um, Elena Kagan, who was a, a had. Stepped down as solicitor, you know. Her, yeah, had, her she had been her in previous the, job. Her was previous job was general. in the it was in the Obama administration. <laughs> yeah, she was the she was the solicitor general in in the um, Justice Department, which made her the third highest uh, legal official in the administration. And she stepped down from that to become to join the court. Um, and but she herself comes from uh, a a seriously religious Jewish family. And in the Hosanna Tabor case, she not only. Uh, went against the Obama administration's brief uh, uh, argument, but she even joined the concurring opinion of Samuel Alito, which went even further than the court did uh, on all of this. So that's that's a fascinating uh, sidelight there, and it shows that she has at least some uh, some willingness uh, to be considerate of of people's religious beliefs. Now, having said that, though, if we're going to talk about Elena uh, Kagan. Uh, and the Supreme Court and influence groups, there is a wonderful uh, story about influence groups in the courts connected to Kagan that only came out when she was nominated to be justice. Previously, she'd served in the Clinton administration in the White House Counsel's Office, uh, which is actually a part of the White House. The White House House Counsel is basically the president's private lawyer through the government. Yes, Uh, And the Counsel's Office supports the White House Counsel. Yes, so it's separate from the Department of Justice. But in any event, so she was there... Uh, in a, in a high-ranking uh, job in the White House, and the um, this is a fascinating little known story that it ca- the memos for all this came out because they had to release her records from that when she when she got nominated to the Supreme Court. Well, uh, that was the time when there was lots of fights over um, uh, partial birth abortion, and of course the Clinton administration was a very vigorous supporter of partial birth abortion. He vetoed. Uh, uh, laws passed uh, by Congress to uh, to forbid it. Well, the American College of Obstetrics and, Gyne- uh, and Gynecology, which is the the trade group for OBGYNs, um, they were uh, drafting a report on same sex or sorry on uh, partial birth abortion, and somebody there secretly slipped Ms. Kagan at the White House, a draft of that report, and being a very smart lawyer, because no one's ever called Elena Kagan dumb, uh, she read that report, draft report, and realized, gee, this isn't really going to be very helpful for those of us who want to vigorously support partial birth abortion. So she suggested significant edits to that report, um, all of say done quite surreptitiously. The uh, OBGYN group incorporated those into the final report, and that very paragraph was repeatedly cited by judges and justices uh, 
to justify their overturning of partial birth abortion laws. That's a fact. Until, until ultimate, until I believe ultimately, one, the federal ban was upheld, was it not? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's still it's, it's always a question of what Justice Kennedy feels like any given morning he wakes up. But uh, <laughs> yes, there, there 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 now has been some movement to the other side. But that's definitely a fascinating case of uh, of surreptitious of how, of how influence works. And yes. Now there also were folks. Uh, uh, in the going back to the, the today's case in the Massachusetts Baker's shop, uh, the yeah there were there were a number, uh, there were a number of groups that, on that supported that well, supported the government, government that supported the government uh, and, and even maybe the, some the state the state government. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you had kind of your standard left wing you know social liberal left wing groups groups of like uh, that various LB, LGBT yeah yeah various interest LG, LGBT interest groups mm -hmm. uh, the, which, the largest of which I believe is the human rights campaign close to mm -hmm. our offices. Uh, you had uh, you had the American Bar Association, uh, which is the the group the a, a, the largest professional association of lawyers, and whose highly ideological nature is revealed in the fact that they went yeah. against something that mm -hmm. Elena Kagan yeah, I, and Stephen Breyer had mm -hmm. no trouble saying, "No, that's crazy. That's too far." Indeed, and uh, you know, and we we discussed their influence in episode I think it was episode two, uh, where we discussed judicial nominations late last year. Yeah. Um, but then also you had your general liberal ideological groups, the NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, the Service Employees International Union, uh, and then it even got the local Metro Denver Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce intervened on, on behalf of the government. Yeah. Now that, of course, to be fair, that might be uh, something like Stockholm Syndrome, uh, I, I suspect, because I mean, I, I've well, well, I, uh, well. Yeah, I mean, they would be. If I were in the local chamber of commerce, I might sure. be terrified of what the LGBT and the other uh, left-wing secular groups would be well, doing. And the and the and the and the other and the other thing is that the the chambers of commerce tend to like clear bright line rules uh, and not wishy-washy exemptions to clear clear bright line rules. Because no matter who's in charge, clear bright line rules you can build around a clear a, a clear bright line rule. In a way that, uh, in a way that you know, wishy-washy exemptions for various various uh, beliefs can yeah. can get complicated quick, and then you end up in court. Yeah, but I, I also suspect that the example, for instance, of North Carolina and its bathroom law uh, might terrify local businesses. Possible. Uh, well, the the. Let's talk for a little bit about the, the, the nature of the decision here. There have been uh, differing interpretations on both sides uh, of the issue about just what the, the case means. So, again, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case was decided on very fact-specific grounds. The conduct of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the Civil Rights Commission's uh, conflicting precedents, let's be charitable and call them that, um, the court explicitly decided not to make a generally applicable rule. Uh, they neither said there was a mandate to make to make the cake, nor did they say that if you are sort of like in the in the uh, contraceptive mandate case where the court said uh, the, the Hobby Lobby case from a few years ago, where the court said if you are a privately held, pl private, closely held business with a justified, with a, you know, justified religious belief against contraception, 
uh, then you have to have an exemption from the Obamacare contraception mandate. They didn't make a rule like that either. Um, so this has led some people on the right, both conservatives like Andy McCarthy and libertarians like Richard Epstein, to say that the court missed an obvious opportunity to, uh, to protect free speech or religious exercise. Uh, now others, uh, most prominently likely is National Review's David French, who used to be with Alliance Defending Freedom, um, has suggested that uh, that the masterpiece ruling actually does provide some fairly substantial defense for religious objectors' rights, and and apparently, uh, you know, yeah, yesterday he was saying that the Beckett Fund, the Beckett Fund, which uh, is is litigating on behalf of uh, people of all religions whose uh, rights have been infringed by various levels of government, um, that they have begun using the reasoning in Masterpiece Cake Shop, especially the reasoning on that double standard between uh, that that was unduly prejudicial to a religious objection versus a secular objection. Uh, and they have already begun using that in their case arguments. Yep. Well, the uh, and um, another uh, another significant commentator at National Review weighing in on this with somewhat optimistic views was uh, was Wesley Smith. Uh, who cares a great deal about the bioethics issues. And he wasn't overjoyed, but he did think that uh, for the sorts of cases he worries about, namely the, the question of uh, doctors, nurses, hospitals, pharmacists uh, having to participate in abortion or in uh, 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 hormone blockers uh, to, uh, mm -hmm. that stave off puberty for in transgender cases and whatnot, that, that the case would provide at least some support for uh, religious conscience rights uh, in, in that area, and I think, and I think a lot of where how you interpret the decision, at least if you're if you're on the right, obviously if you're on the hardcore, uh, you know, LGBT interest left, you're militantly horrified that uh, Elena Kagan has gone over to the dark side. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're kind of on the right and you're relatively sympathetic to religious views, even if you're not particularly religious, like me. Uh, where you come down probably depends on what you thought you were going to get. And I fully expected that either 5-4 or maybe even 6-3, maybe even Roberts would have gone over, that, no, this is going to be a general, found to be a neutrally applicable law that was going to require Phillips to bake the cake. Uh, and the fact that they didn't find that, even if it was on relatively narrow grounds, is, ulti is ultimately positive. And the fact that there does seem, you know, this is not the first time, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, Elena Kagan has ruled in favor of maybe not as broad a religious uh, dissenters, uh, a, a religious dissenters uh, leniency that you might hope for, but it's not the first time she's ruled in favor of one. Uh, we, in addition to the uh, the case that you mentioned, there was also, I think it was last term, the Trinity Lutheran case uh, involving a Missouri law, which denied uh, participation in a recycling, I believe it was a recycling program for shoes to make the stuff that goes under tires. Play. Yeah, yeah, tires mm -hmm. that then goes into play, the, 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 play, the, yeah, the, the playground, the playground smushy stuff. To keep your kid from breaking his arm or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and they were denied that by the state of Missouri, and they sued, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled 7-2, to two, identical split, mm -hmm. that 
no, 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 no. Actually, if this program is going to exist, it cannot kick them out just by virtue of being a religious organization. Um, so there is... So if, if all you thought you were going to get, like I did, was nothing, uh, even a comparatively narrow place for religious dissenters is, in my opinion, a positive development. Uh, having said that, of <laughs> course, it's entirely possible that as early as next term, all this will get revisited in a case with a different set of right, packs. Right, right. And, and, and we may find, you know, again, there's so much that, that could change. Uh, there's some question, uh, Sean Trendy, the sophologist for Real Clear Politics, uh, tweeted after the, after the decision came out that for the first time he was reconsidering his prior that Anthony Kennedy was going to leave the Supreme Court in a box. Uh, that he was that he was going to stay until he died. Um, so if Anthony Kennedy retires and then Trump appoints a jur- a jurist like many of the people he's been elevating to appeals courts, uh, you know, from a sort of Federalist Society background, uh, we could be looking at a broader exemption. Uh, if having said that, Republicans it, also have a history of nominating people they think will rule certain ways. Uh, like Mr. Justice Kennedy, uh, <laughs> and even Mr. Roberts in the case of the Obamacare. Uh, sure, I, case I mean, and, I mean, I mean, you know, the if if I'm going to be charitable to Republican jurists, I'm going to say it's because they're actually jurists and they're not just legislators in robes. Uh, they actually attempt, uh, but sometimes they will, they do behave as if they were legislators in robes. Um, uh, so there will, you know, it's possible that there could be a change. You know, there could be a change in the court. It's possible that a different set of facts would be found differently. Uh, exactly where this is going to go, we don't know because they didn't tell us. Yeah, well, uh, I want to take a second just to just to say that uh, I certainly think this area of the law is, is quite critical, and uh, it's worth, you know, a, a glance at the First Amendment ought to bring up anyone, secular or religious, who has some interest in liberty uh, to, to be sober about the, these kinds of issues because... Uh, I think the very, even in the structure of the First Amendment, there's something fascinating. The very first liberty in the First Amendment is freedom of religion, free exercise of religion. Um, and, the, and, and, and let's be clear, that was in even though many of the prominent founding fathers, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, were pretty secular guys, uh, that they saw uh, coming from the European, from the history of the European wars of religion and the English Restoration and then the English Glorious Revolution because the Catholics were going to reinstitute state, the Stuarts were going to reinstitute state Catholicism, uh, that the dissent of conscience had to be protected or there would be war. Yes. And also the very idea that we should be self-governing implies that we should be able to think uh, even in the uh, grandest, most cosmic ways, there should be liberty to, to, to think. So you begin, in a way, with the liberty of thinking, and then you move to free speech, which is being able to express your thoughts, and then you move to freedom of the press, which is I don't just have a right to express my thoughts to you across the dinner table. Yeah, I, can, I, can I, exp- I can express it to, whoe- to, to whoever I wish yeah. so long Publish as I have the resources. It, yes, publishing it uh, publicly... Uh, and then lastly, uh, freedom of, of association, free, uh, you know, 
the, the, the ability the ability to, to get together with my friends to all say you know, to say the same thing yes. <laughs> and to say it to the highest uh, to the government even so so that that's a natural beautiful uh, web uh, of understanding of free thought free speech and free society and 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 it, and it all flows from what you what you called freedom of thought what I've called freedom of conscience the the right to come to a conclusion about what we believe to be true and then to articulate it. Yeah. Now, another th- aspect of the Constitution that is important in these hot-button social issues um, is you know, the Constitution never envisioned that the Supreme Court was going to be making decisions about marriage and, 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 or abortion or things like that because obviously things like that were intended to be left to the states. The federal government had a few defined critical powers, mainly uh, externally facing the world, uh, so defense and, and uh, commerce and the rest, but they never intended, uh, you know, the founders certainly never dreamt that uh, federal legislatures or federal courts were going to be deciding um, questions like this. And in some of the hot-button social issues like abortion, this if we went back to that where it's like, hey, states are going to decide um, uh, wh- what personhood consists of and when it's going to be defended uh, when it's going to be or when the taking of it's going to be prosecuted that might do a great deal to diminish the the wars over abortion it's worth remembering that in 1973 the new the liberal new republic magazine was horrified by the supreme court's roe v wade decision because they quite rightly predicted this will cause tremendous backlash from uh, religious conservatives and people forget all this history. In 1973, you know, white evangelicals didn't vote much. They, uh, they were not and, a powerful voting bloc. Well, and and there was no party of uh, where they would go, where they would it go, was not where the religion, parties themselves. The, par- were the not parties, polarized. the parties had not sorted on questions of religiosity, on questions of religious intensity. Uh, the Nixon administration, as we discussed in our episode on Planned Parenthood, the Nixon administration was passing family planning laws yes. uh, that, that federally funded, ultimately federally funded Planned Parenthood to a substantial degree. Um, but, you know, and, and that was a nominally Republican, nominally, uh, I guess you would call them conservative uh, administration that did that. It was not a pol- it was not a partisanized topic until after 1973. Yes, and the New Republic, which had no objection to abortion <laughs> in principle, but very much had objection to the courts coming in uh, and thrust and overturning 50 states' laws on abortion. Um, quite rightly predicted that this would would uh, not be a happy thing for America's politics and would not be a happy thing for the left. So, but the, on the other hand, Massabee's, uh Baker's issue. It is abortion could relatively simply be settled as a federalist issue, where okay, state lines uh, d- decide you'd have a few, you'd have mil- federal law would have to be involved in like military bases maybe, but there's not not too much doesn't have to be much federal and, involvement. And and you could and you could have and you wouldn't have to go all the way to one side or the other. I mean. Uh, yes, people forget that but, Europe yeah, actually has right, much more right. moderate I, Ireland, centrist. Ireland just, you know, Ireland just voted to legalize to essentially legalize abortion. The law they are going to institute will be more restrictive than the law in any United State. Yes. <laughs> um, so. Yes. Yeah. No. And Sweden has more restrictive abortion laws than we do. <laughs> the same thing because they don't. It's not an all or nothing thing. But, but 
federalism sort of works pretty well for the abortion question. It doesn't work very well for the marriage question because uh, there is in the, so let's say that the, that the court switched Obergefell and said, okay, look, this is obviously a state issue and you states should be able to decide this. Well, states would obviously decide it very differently. And then there's the issue in the Constitution of the full faith and credit clause, which requires states to recognize other states' uh, official, dis- actions. Uh, official actions. And marriage is an official action. So you have the, the trouble of uh, how are we going to be a couple in uh, New York, but not a couple in Georgia. And also, you have a much greater federal involvement because there's spousal benefits in Social Security benefits, tax and law. veterans and tax the length law. Of, the length of my District of Columbia tax return uh, and the number of boxes that you can check for your marital status is a is a uh, an artifact of the pre-Obergefell um, trying to shoehorn a what was a same-sex marriage jurisdiction into a uh, federal tax system that didn't recognize it at the time. <laughs> yes. So you have, so you have, uh, it, it, it would, it, this is a much harder thing. And I would, I would even say in a, in the still broader case sense, um, I think this is, uh, a, an instance, and you probably disagree with me, but the, this is an instance that shows the, the limitations of a libertarian approach to this kind of thing, because, um, libertarianism hopes that we'll all agree just to look at ourselves as individuals and not fret much about the community but it would seem that what the community thinks about uh, us matters to the overwhelming majority of people, well, and even ma- folks who probably. Well, but they, well, but well, hold on. Mm-hmm. It matters, but then you have to decide. But then you have to go a step further. Like, how are we? If we know that we care about what other people think about us, what are we going to do? Are we going to fight about it? I mean, it gets back to the fundamental questions of freedom of freedom of conscience. Why is the you know why? Did the founding fathers, having seen the effects of the European wars of religion in what Jonah Goldberg called the miracle, the development of modern uh, uh, liberal democratic capitalism, decide that no, actually, we need to preserve freedom of conscience, whether we are secular, whether we are very religious, even for Catholics and Turks? And the answer was the alternative is warfare. The alternative is conflict. The alternative is the Thirty Years' War. And unless, and again, this is something that I think we can say that to an extent even Elena Kagan recognizes, there has to be a place for religious dissenters, whether it's religious dissenters within a religious society, secular dissenters within a religious society, or in this case, religious dissenters in a secular society, where they are able to live their lives in in some accord with their beliefs but but not you know info, in, impose those beliefs to a, to a uh, an overwhelming degree on on the majority. Uh, well, unf- uh, the only trouble is that folks like Ms. Sotomayor and Ms. Ginsburg and the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the Human and Rights the, and Campaign that, and, and do not a- remotely agree with you. Of, of of course they don't. They're they're also there's also they're also socialists. There are also Nazis. I mean the the existence of extremists, the existence even of uh, very well funded extremists, the existence even of very adamant extremists, uh, is a poli- is a political problem, not one that you know we we dis- we dismiss the we, we dismiss the possibility of coexistence. Uh, just because some people don't want to coexist. 
I, I, I believe fundamentally that most people do want to coexist, that most people do not want to, uh, to go all the way to the, you know, take the Catholic Church's tax exemption away, even if the ACLU might want to do that. Uh, and again, ultimately, that's a political question. Ultimately, that's a legal question. And I think we are, I am more confident, although I'm ultimately not super confident, I am more confident than I was last week that there is a willingness to make that space. Well, let's hope that you're right, Mike. Uh, That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version of the podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. Also, go to influencewatch.org to look up all the different groups that we've talked about, SEIU, Beckett Fund, ADF, and all the rest. We'll see you next week.